0: Welcome to All Four Quarters, your one stop shop for news, reviews and overreactions to all things NFL. We've finally made it back after a long stay over in London, thank you Fog and thank you Aer Lingus. This week we're going to have a look at a couple of news items, some coach firings, a quick look at the 49ers and the dumpster fire sale that's going on there, some injury news and we're going to also have a quick look at a mid-season review, where we think some of the uh, awards at the end of the season are going to be going and also who's going to be making the playoffs. We're also going to have a quick look at some, uh, some information from the Wembley game, some uh, shout-outs from some people at it, and a lot of the listeners out there who gave us some input down at the game. We're going to look at the games from last week, we're going to look at the picks for the week afterwards, and we're going to take one very special question that we got from a listener at the, uh, at the game. Okay, so guys, how are y'all getting on? This week we've got, uh, again, myself, Harry, and, uh, and Dave. How are y'all getting on, lads?
1: Good, yeah. Can not complain. <laughs> B- about the same as yourself, still cursing our lingus, chasing them, trying to get our money back. Yeah,
0: that was fun. Uh, for for, fun. The, for those of you who don't know, uh, surprise fog, as surprising as fog can be at the start of uh, the start of November, uh, stopped us from getting home and made us have to spend a couple of, of extra days over in London. Uh, always fun to have to do. Um, so I suppose, guys, we'll crack straight on into the news. This is going to be quite a quite a bumper episode with all the coverage we got over in Wembley and stuff as well. Uh, I suppose the first thing to just look at is to say. Well, we might have gotten stuck over in London for a while. At least we didn't lose our jobs over it, unlike some of these coaches. Uh, we've had two coach firings so far this weekend or uh, following this weekend. We've had, uh, Ken Wisenhunt, uh, Titans head coach has now been fired and replaced by the fantastically named Mike Malarkey. And we've also had Pep in the Colts offensive coordinator, uh, replaced by Chudzinski. So, uh, I suppose guys we will have a quick chat about this. What do you reckon, Harry? Uh, this Ken Wisenhunt, uh, changeover, will it, Result in a slightly better Titans team, or is it still going to be as bad
1: as it was beforehand? Um, yeah, I don't know if it can result in a worse Titans team. Uh, the Wizard Hunter era was not a particularly successful one. In a way, it is a little—you know—it's a—it's a little harsh in a certain sense, just because you know it's bringing a new quarterback who then got hurt. So you know you can't judge him too much, perhaps on the totality of the season, but you have to judge him on everything else that's come before. And there was that there was that stat that's been floating around where he's only won one game at home. With, without eight months to prepare for it, yeah, it, it's a problem there. Malarkey himself, I I do remember his tenure at the Jags, which was brief and inglorious. Mm, two and fourteen uh, two, season, yeah, two and fourteen seasons. So that was kind of a problem. So I don't know if he's necessarily going to be the guy to fix it. It may just be an interim interim solution, and they may be looking for somebody else at the at the end of the season. Yeah, but the problems there are running deep. They will have Mariota back this week, which hopefully should you know for them make them a little bit better. But there is a lack of talent on that team right now. And I don't know if this is going to just immediately, you know, I don't think this is going to make it go away anytime soon. And I think that they're going to be looking for a more structural change.
0: No, of course. Like the one, the one thing he has is, yeah, his head coaching experience isn't great. He has had fairly decent success as an offensive coordinator with a couple of different teams throughout the league. Uh, most notably the Steelers, Uh is quite a long time ago at this point, I think over a decade ago. But um, yeah, we'll see if it can have a change, hopefully for the better, because it has not been a good season for the Titans. Uh, Dave, I'm going to come to you on this this change in the Colts uh replaced by Chudinsky as being a Browns fan you've got a bit of an experience with this chap uh, what do you think he's going to bring to the role do you think it's going to help them at all uh, with what has been a very bizarre and very down season for a team
2: yeah no I think he actually will be good I think he's a very good defensive coordinator maybe he the head coach job was given to him a bit too early but like he definitely cared a lot I think his scheme wise stuff was pretty good I think he got quite a bit as well like, I think he was hamstring by the year I think Brandon Whedon was a starting quarterback the year he was there I don't know how good your team is going to be when that's the case. <laughs> well, yeah. If you if you're Jerry Jones you think he throws
0: the most beautiful football in in the NFL's history apparently. Old Brandon Wheaton.
2: Yeah, but anyway, I think <laughs> the scheme-wise I think they'll probably be interesting. I think luck's form precipitous loss of form has been extremely perplexing and it must be just that like he's either not confident in the scheme they're running or he's just not confident in his reads because he's just making bad reads now and i'm pretty sure chad is good with quarterbacks chad is good with getting people playing confidence chad is a bit kind of like a jurgen Kloppy type guy and he put his arm around you give you a hug make you feel like you're a good guy i think that's <laughs> maybe what maybe that's just what andrew knuckle needs right now maybe he just needs someone to be like no we're not got your corner you're gonna be okay everything's gonna be fine and kind of like maybe try and get him to stop trying so hard and kind of have a bit more confidence in his coaching I think that will probably be what showed up. I think I think it'll be good for him. Yeah, they're finally bringing in a friend for Andrew Luck.
0: The poor lonely superstar. Yeah, like I said, it's one of those ones. At this point, is pure speculation. We've always said before you never really see much of a much of an uptick whenever you change coaching staff mid-season. It tends to be. Not something winning teams do, although we have seen success out of the Dolphins from it, although weekly we <laughs> we didn't see much out of the Lions after they did it uh, on the weekend. Yeah, so we'll move on now to the uh, to the 49ers and the absolute clusterfuck that that is. They've benched Kaepernick, Gabbard is now starting, nearly all their running backs are injured, uh, they've signed two new ones. Pierre Thomas, who I think will be a good addition, and Sean Tron, who I didn't think we'd ever see playing again. Most of their defence left during the off-season. Uh, how are these guys going to function as a football team, Dave? What do you what What do you think the future of this season is for the 49ers?
2: Presumably, at this point, they're just looking at the number one pick. Like, I don't see what else this season can hold for. Like, their team is awful. Any players that even had look like they had potential. Whatever about putting Jared Haynes on the Parker squad. I guess that maybe makes sense like building him for next year, but like like I presume presumably he would get improved more with game time when with nothing going on anyway. It doesn't seem I don't that decision doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. Then signing a Shane Dron, who's like like the closest thing I can call him is like a blocking running back. Yeah, like that's basically his skill set is he can block pretty well. Yeah, he he seems like a slow fullback. Yeah. So, like, he was on the Browns, obviously. Um, everyone talked about his work ethic, which is, you know, means he's terrible. Like, it's just, it's, it's very perfect. Pierre Thomas could be okay. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy
0: to see him get picked up because he was one who I thought would be picked up before now as a free agent. And I'd be interested to see because I reckon he's still got another season or two in the tank. Uh, like, Harry, this is a team that is currently 30th in total offense and 28th in total defense. They've traded away Vernon Davis. to to the Denver Broncos for some perplexing reason to pick up an additional seventh round pick a year later or something along these lines. Although, apart from the hilarity that it means the 49ers have now given the AFC West both crabs and VD this year, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is phenomenal. Like, I don't know what exactly they get back here their coaching has been terrible. Their record with Chibarba is far better than it has been with any of the other coaches they put in place. Like, Is this a total rebuild we're looking at or is this just a there's nothing left in this season let's give our new coach as many picks as possible
1: to start to build something? Yeah, I think there's an aspect of that. I think it's I don't even know if it's that designed. I think there's a little bit of headlessness going on here in San Francisco at the moment. That said, I can kind of understand why they've done some of the things they're doing. Vernon Davis, I think they're just getting rid of for anything at this point. His decline's been pretty precipitous over the last couple of years. Now it might be the people around him. He might get a bit of a revival in Denver with a better better, um, offense and a better quarterback. I can see why they would try to cash in there. Uh, Pierre Thomas makes sense. I even think draw makes a little bit of sense. Because if you're concerned about your O-line, and the guys are getting enough time in the pocket, and they want to run this pocket thing, it perhaps makes sense to have a fullback who can mm. lock on passing downs. Now, it is a problem when he's no threat to run, so you pretty much know what's going to happen, even if they do hands-off to him, mm. he's going to fall over. And again, the, the, the benching of Kaepernick for Gabbert, if it's just a thing, you know, they're taking him out for a couple of weeks, they want him to get his head in, in there, maybe go and work with some, remember, with some independent coaches, mm. get a bit more time to settle and sort himself out, then it makes sense. I don't know if that is what they're doing. It's this is the Niners. This is the Jim Tomcila coach, Jed York owned San Francisco 49ers, So they could equally just be trying to run Gabbard for the rest of the season, maybe just to see what they have there. Although uh, I think <laughs> by now we know what uh, we know what happens there. They're going to go from thirtieth offense to thirty second.
0: Do, do do you think that play Garrett can surpass the four and a half yards per attempt that Kaepernick's managed so far this season? Because that seems right about uh, his
2: wheelers.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's pretty pretty ga- much the, the, what they call the Gabbard zone, isn't it? <laughs> but, uh, well, oh, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know what... Like, I, I really don't know one thing, because the problem is, oh, Kaepernick doesn't know how to play out of the pocket. Like, neither does Blaine Gabbard. It doesn't fix the fundamental issue they're having yeah. with the quarterback in their scheme.
0: There There is, there is the plus, I suppose, that he can throw a touch pass because he doesn't have a rocket for an arm. Like, I would say, when we're discussing the massive fall-off of Vernon Davis, an element of that is... He runs relatively short routes and goes to catch balls. That's why it worked having little flimsy touch passes from Alex Smith. Whereas if your quarterback only has one option, which is to rocket it at 100 miles an hour at your chest, it's very difficult to catch them off your body as Davis is
1: used to doing. I, I don't know if I'd say that uh, Gabberts of the touch passes so much so he just has a noodle for an arm. But yeah, but, that, but,
0: that, but, that, but, that, but that's the thing. I think I think a noodly <laughs> arm is better for him than a rocket arm that is completely inaccurate. Now got rid
1: of him, so we don't know. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, we'll find out. We'll find out at some point. Like a noodle arm. Uh, if Peyton Manning returns to his noodle arminess, then maybe it'll work out uh, just fine for them. Right. So we'll have a quick look at there was a, there was an awful lot of injuries this weekend. It seems every week we're talking about injuries. This week was particularly bad. We'll fly through a few of them here. Uh, Ricardo Loquette looked like he died on the pitch. That was that was terrifying. Le'Veon Bell is out for the season. Kyrie Robinson's leg is currently in several different pieces. Oh god, it was it was one of the most horrendous things I've seen. There was there was lots more. Steve Smith, Matt Forte, Cameron Wake, Reggie Bush, and Fitzmagic is also gone, and also about ninety percent of the San Diego Chargers. Uh, but the key one for them is the fact that. Uh, Keenan Allen is now out for the season, one of the key parts of their offense. What do we think the impact of some of these are? What, what, like, I'll go to Dave first on this one. What do you think are going to be the most impactful injuries here
2: uh, that we have from this week? I think Steve Smith. The Ravens are, had a pretty lost season, but I think Steve Smith was kind of the only guy that was getting things going. Like Number one, that could be career-ending because he was talking about retiring at the end of the season anyway. And yeah. then number two, who has Flacco got the throw to now? I don't know. Like they're all undrafted free agents. I think on their team, maybe there's one guy who's not an undrafted free agent. I I, I think that the Ravens probably are taking residency in the basement of the AFC North now, which I'm fine with. But um <laughs> there, I don't see them. I don't see them turning around without Steve Smith. Yeah, no, of course.
0: And I, obviously, Harry, the, the, the Lev Bell injury is presumably going to be quite a large factor
1: for that Steelers offense. Uh, I'm not actually sure about that. It, it certainly makes them a bit worse, but they were doing fine rather with D'Angelo Williams when they had Rothelsberger playing well. And yeah, he had a rough week, uh, had a rough week, just gone there, but it's come back into it. So when he starts firing again, I think they're probably actually going to be okay. It's obviously a huge shame for Bell that makes the game less and draw when somebody who's just such a phenomenal talent goes down and hopefully he can come back in, come back in, good, yeah. in good condition. The other one that I think is, 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 is quite significant, of course, is Matt Forte. Uh, if you want to talk about a team that's dependent on, on a player, in the case of Steve Smith, again, without Matt Forte, what do the Bears have? I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, no, of course. And then, uh, obviously, just uh, for for the division that your team, the Patriots play in, there's, uh, there's two quite substantial injuries. Not that I think any of them were really threatening you at the top of that mm-hmm. division. But uh, it definitely hampers our chances of getting to the postseason, which we'll be talking about in a minute. Cameron Wake is now out for the season with an Achilles injury. And Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, completely did his thumb in. Uh, so Geno Smith is going to be starting. Now, we're unsure of the length of time, but we believe it's somewhere in the region of like five to six weeks as it's going to require surgery. So those are two teams that I think were looking like they were getting hungry and in the hunt for a wildcard spot that uh, I think are going to be severely affected by that. And I suppose that brings us nicely on to the the idea of having a look. Now we, we we said last week because we're hitting the halfway point of the season now, we're gonna have a quick review, have a look at where we think some of the uh some of the awards at the end of the season are gonna go and also where we think teams are on uh, on making the playoffs and some of the some of the seedings and rankings as well. So I suppose we'll run through a few of these nice and quickly, uh see if any of us need to uh to discuss anything too much. MVP, I think we're all in lockstep on this at the moment. There's no one it can be apart from Tom Brady, I suppose. With him being your boy, Harry, I'll let you talk about
1: why that's the case. Well, I think it's pretty clear at this point. He's playing possibly the best football of his career. The team looks incredible. And bear in mind, this is, again, this is not a team with outstanding wide receivers, with particularly an outstanding running game or with a particularly outstanding offensive line. A team that's decent in all of those areas is being elevated by a guy who is playing at an incredible level. I think he's thrown one pick all season and it was an unlucky one that sort of got tipped and bounced off a receiver's hands. Like, you really just can't argue with the level he's been playing at, the results he's been getting and the fact that we've just been putting stompings onto teams
0: no, of course. Now, for Offensive Player of the Year, we kind of made the decision that we're not going to put the same person in twice. So the person we all are in agreement is uh, going to be well, currently in our standing the runner-up to, to, to Tom Brady. We're going to give him OPOY, which is uh, Cam Newton. Like I'll, t- I'll take this one just as a brief explanation. Take Cam is almost all the same things that you just said there, Harry. He's playing phenomenally. He's the reason that their team are winning games. And I think, more importantly, his surrounding cast are a poor man's version of what Tom Brady's are. When you say they're not great... He's got Ted Ginn. He's got, now he's got a good tight end as well and Greg Olsen, but Greg Olsen is no Gronkowski. He's got a decent running back, Jonathan Stewart, but he's not getting the same production as Dion Lewis is giving you, or the odd time that Blunt decides to actually play a game well. Cam has been playing excellently. He would be second place in the MVP hunt, and for that reason we put him in as Offensive Player of the Year. We'll have a look now at uh, Defensive Player of the Year. We've all got a bit of a split on this one. Uh, so, I, for Homer's sake, have taken Justin Houston. I think he was snubbed last year. Their defence is rounding into shape. The back half of the season is a significantly easier half of the season for us. And he's going to start pumping up numbers uh, towards the back end and really get up to the top of every table. Uh, Harry, what
1: about yourself? Yeah, I've, I've taken a pick that might, it's a bit interesting. Uh, Josh Norman, the cornerback. At uh, Carolina, I think is basically done for the defense, the defensive backfield. What Cam Newton has done for their offense, and um, he's a guy who's come pretty much out of, out of nowhere this season, and has just been playing absolute lights out stuff. He's been getting not only a, a bunch of picks, but also ones in really big situations. And when Luke Keekly was out injured, he was the guy providing the leadership in that defense. Which was just again somebody who before the season was sort of a kind of you no know, mediocrity in a lot of ways has elevated this game to be I think one of the best corners of the league and teams aren't throwing at him anymore yeah and when they are he's putting up really really good numbers and opponents quarterback ratings throwing on him are are one of the some of the worst in the league mm-hmm. and this is a guy who just doesn't have a great supporting cast surrounding him in that backfield yeah and Dave you had a, you had a different call for this as well
2: yeah okay I've picked Akeem Talib because I think that. Denver are playing absolutely ridiculous defense, and I think that usually if it's not J.J. Watt, it goes to a player who kind of represents a unit. So if you look at when Seattle were playing well, they would generally get a member of the lockdown in the lake would get it. I think that it's almost like a group award, but I think To Tlaib will get it because he's a standout on a very, very good Denver defense that they think, I think they'll try and reward. Fair enough.
0: We are, we're all in agreement on uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year. We all thought Todd Gurley because, let's be honest, he's playing phenomenally. I uh, don't think we need to say too much more. There, Amari Cooper is a runner-up in that, but just Gurley at the moment is part of the one running away with it. Defensive Rookie of the Year, we've uh, we've got uh, well two different uh, opinions on this. I'm currently standing with Marcus Peters. Uh, I think he's been playing very well, cornerback for the Chiefs. He has had one or, two, uh, one or two games where he's played less good, but he's Coming up with picks, coming up with pick sixes, defending passes, playing against number one wide receivers, which is not normally a level of production you get out of a first-year corner. Uh, uh, you guys had a, had a slightly
2: different call on this. Yeah, no, I think that Kwon Alexander has been pretty good and for a box defense that has not been great for years. I think that he's been a stand performer for them. I think that he's definitely got the most buzz about him.
1: Yeah, I was actually a bit surprised when you took Kwan Alexander, because I thought I was going to be sort of alone being like, yeah, no, Bucks definitely have the best defensive (laughs) rookie. He's been playing really well. He's been attacking machines. He's been getting a good few interceptions. He can read coverage. What really impressed me about Quan Alexander is that guy as a rookie, as a, I can't remember if he was a late round pick or if he was undrafted, but a guy who wasn't, didn't come with all the hype. And I remember they they traded for somebody. Alexander beat him out in the preseason and is the guy, he's the guy calling in the plays. He's the middle linebacker. He's running that defense as a rookie. While a playing at a high level and a defense that we're also himself, but also a defense we're seeing get better as the year goes on, and he's growing into that role. You can see that in his own performance and the performance of those around him, and becoming a more and more organized defense. And I think that's an incredible thing for a rookie to do. So it goes beyond his own play on this one. He's made that entire defense better, and it's getting better because of
0: his influence. No, of course. I I, I understand entirely. Like, he has been playing exceptionally well. My, my only concern would obviously be a very good player sitting on a not-so-good defence, and I don't know whether that harms him in the voting process. Right, and I
1: think Peters would be a fair call. Peters has been very, very impressive, but I think just what Alexander has brought to that unit has been Oh remarkable.
0: yeah, no, of course, of course.
1: Uh, in fact, it has been a pretty decent year
0: for defensive rookies, to be honest. So we're going to have a look as well. at We'll go comeback player of the year, and then we'll look at coaches, because... Uh, cause Finish out the players first. So I've said uh, Eric Berry because well, one, I'm a homer for the Chiefs, and two, come on, love of Christ, guy at cancer, comes back and is playing football again at a great level. Like, like if you don't believe in that story, you've got no heart and deserve to die in a hole. Harry, why why should you go die in a hole?
1: Well, yeah, this is the thing. It does feel a bit heartless to pick against against Eric Berry, and and in fairness, it is incredible what he to come back and what he's come back from. It is remarkable. That said, cold, hard football cap is going on for this, because ultimately the people who vote in these, these awards are often assholes. So <laughs> I've got to think like one of them. Uh, I had a bit of a thought between two players, both in the same team. Uh, I was thinking about Carson Palmer for a bit, but in the end, I think CJ2K, Chris Johnson, has come back from being a guy who just was completely washed up, who had spent the last few years just marring his reputation and had gone from being a guy who'd been declined into mediocrity, a guy who had actually become a bad running back, who could not get snaps ahead of Bilal Powell for the Jets, to leading a extremely potent Arizona ground game. And also, he's keeping Andre Ellington off the field, he's keeping David Johnson off the field, he's mm. keeping two very, very talented players, who there was like, oh, it's going to be a timeshare. It's not. Chris Johnson is dominating those snaps, because in both the passing and the running game, he's, one of the, he's, he's playing like one of the top five running back again. And coming back from where he was, for a guy whose career was finished, he was brought in on a on a punt, basically like we've got nobody better. Incredible and to see him come back to those levels is is heartwarming, and it's great for himself. Pity after obviously, he got shot during the off season and everything, so <laughs> yeah. like he was sort of coming back from. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's not quite cancer, but it wasn't great for him either. No. So yeah, I think and uh, great I that.
0: think I think Dave's got a different shade on this one as well.
2: Okay, well, this one is not on how he's played in the season so far. But it's because Josh McCown is going to be out this Thursday. And I think he will play really well for the rest of the season. And I think having gone to rehab and come back and is going to play lights out for the rest of the season, I'm going to pick Johnny fucking football, Johnny Manziel. Excellent, excellent. So
0: we've got a nice bit of, nice bit of divide on that one. And then uh, the final one we're going to look at uh, just from the award side of things is who we think is currently uh, leading in the head coach of the year section. So I suppose we'll start at the far end, because I've started all of these. Harry, uh, who's your pick for head coach of the year so far?
1: Uh, it's got to be Bill And My justification for this,
0: 19-0. and 0. <laughs> Well, looking at how the, how the Giants played last week, it
2: might be 18-1 uh, and 1 again. we have got Dave. I'm hoping for a repeat performance from Mr. Bruce Arians. I think that they've played very well, considering what he's had. I think he's got some great performances out of some not very good players. And I think that they're going to do very, very well with a harder schedule than some of the teams. I think the fact he'll probably go to one of the teams that are very likely to go undefeated. But I would like to think that he will be recognised for, for two years in a row, making a reasonably average Cardinals team look very, very good.
0: Yeah, no, of course. Uh, My show for this one at the moment is uh, Gary Kubiak. I'm just looking at a Denver team that had to change its identity entirely from what it was. The quarterback was not looking that strong. He's built a phenomenal defense, a very effective offense. They're rolling at the moment. The game against the Packers there just this weekend gone, they were, they were an entirely different team. They had 150, 160 yards on the ground. They had throws going in that were not being made earlier on in the season. And they had a defense that we'll talk about a little bit later in the games. This is a team that's going, at the moment, undefeated, is going to continue doing this for quite some time. And I'm now very much looking forward to their game against the Patriots, where we'll actually see two of these coaches go head-to-head. The final section we're going to have a look at as well, just for our mid-season review, is uh, where we think the, the, the playoff teams are going. So I think what we'll do for this one is we'll just kind of run through them because a lot of these teams we'll be talking about in the games and in the news sections and stuff. So from the AFC, my shouts are in order. Patriots 1, Bengals 2, Broncos 3, Texans 4, Steelers 5, and Raiders
2: 6. Dave? All right, my picks are the Patriots 1, Broncos 2, Bengals 3, Colts 4, Steelers 5, and Jets 6. And my
1: picks, Patriots 1, Broncos 2, Bengals 3, number 4, Jacksonville (laughs) 5, Steelers and 6. Jets. Excellent.
0: Uh, so nice nice bit of change. We seem to agree on a couple of the play, of the teams here, and then we've got a few, especially the AFC South where we disagree, because it's a complete shitstorm. Uh, the one thing I'll also say is that sixth place that the Raiders have could become the Chiefs one, but I think it's dependent on who can sweep who in their games towards the back half of the season. On to the NFC, I've got the Packers at one, the Cardinals at two, the Panthers at three, and the Giants at four, and then taking the wildcard spots, Falcons at five, and the Rams at six. I've got the Panthers at
2: one,
1: the Packers at two, Cardinals at three, the Giants at four, the Falcons at five, and the Rams at six. And I'm taking the Packers at one, Panthers at two, Cardinals at three, the Eagles at four, Vikings at five, and the Seahawks at six because, sorry, Fizzle, Falcons are no longer a playoff team. Fair enough. I think I disagree
0: not on the basis of the team, but on the basis of the schedule. But uh, I suppose we'll see. It's only the mid-season review we'll find out in about the same length of time again. (laughs) So what we're going to do now is we're going to move over and have a look at some of the games that happened last week. Some good, some bad, some neutral. Okay, guys. So the first game we're going to have a look at here is the Giants at New Orleans. This was a 49-52 stomper of a game. 101 points scored in there, the, lot, the most amount of points scored in quite some time. Like, very exciting, high-scoring game. Was this an issue of two offensive just going off the rails, or was it an issue of two defenses just showing how poor they were?
1: Yes, and yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we knew that both of these teams had bad defences. I think, in theory, we knew that both of these teams could have good offences, or both have quarterbacks who are capable of being very good, or have been very good in the past. And both of them sort of recaptured recaptured the magic tonight a bit, which was just really nice yeah. to see Drew Brees looking like the Drew Brees of old. and Well, I won't say it was nice to see Eli Manning looking like the Eli Manning <laughs> of old, but it happened. I'm sure some people enjoyed it. The reason the Saints sort of won this game in the end was that the Giants offense was the one that started spottering and actually hilariously the Giants punter basically lost them the game, which is shouldn't happen. Great offensive display, two defenses that just couldn't couldn't keep up. And it was it was a rhythm thing. Both teams just sort of found their rhythm, got into the game and just it was so efficient at exploiting the weaknesses the other sides were showing. It was a little bit college And, you know, when you watch college football nobody can play defense, yeah. the offense put a million points every game, it gets a <laughs> bit boring. But it's just, it's nice to see every now and again in the NFL. And I think given who the two quarterbacks were, two guys who've been on the downside for a while, it was nice to see them sort of bring it back to what they could be. Yeah, and I
0: was going to say, Dave, so what do you think? Like, is this is this going to mark a turnaround in the season of these two teams? Like,
1: Because I suppose
0: that there, there is an element in the league, even today, if you can score this much like you're going to be able to keep yourself in games even if you've got a poor defense. Do you think this is, this is these two teams finding what their identity for the season is? Or do you think they're still going to be kind of mired in the mediocrity we've seen so far?
2: Well, I think it's, it's given them a template. Like, it's, it's kind of similar to how, I think it was the last season or two seasons ago, when the Steelers were, had been kind of grinding out these wins mm. uh, or grinding out these results or had play, they played pretty poorly for about four games. I think. I think they were like one in three or something. And then they decided, actually, let's just try and just race people just be like, oh yeah, well we can't actually defend, and we 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 can't do that anymore. So, like maybe this is what they're going to do now. Maybe they're just gonna be like, all right, let's uh, to the wall. We're gonna throw every down. We're gonna do crazy passes. In deck. Like I'm surprised the Giants haven't caught and run with this earlier because, um, you know, they've got they've got pretty good wide receiving core. Don't know why they haven't decided. Let's just play to our strengths. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: entirely. Like I I I I agree with you on that. I think. I think they've found what will make them most successful. There are there are elements that can be returning to their defences that can help them along, but I think they've seen how good they can be if they just focus on the offence and start playing this real vertical kind of game. And hopefully they'll, they'll keep that moving on uh, through the rest of the season because it is a very, if not defensively coherent, a very entertaining style of game to watch, especially after about six or seven beers. <laughs> The second game we're going to look at was a very, very interesting game, I'm going to say, between uh, between two undefeated teams. Green Bay traveled down to Denver to see what they could do against them. I think we all called this game for Green Bay last week, and the result was 10 points for Green Bay, 29 for, for Denver. We are looking at a spot where Aaron Rodgers was held to, I believe, 77 yards in this game. I think the most the most striking thing about how strong this Denver defense was against them there wasn't a single yard after the catch for any of the Green Bay wide receivers. Their entire offense was just where they could be placed. That kind of blanket coverage is hard to come by. Is this saying to us that the top end of the AFC could potentially be that much
2: better than the top end of the NFC, or is this just an anomaly? I think the Denver defense is. Actually, I I knew it was amazing, but I didn't think it was its significantly better than I think I I even thought it was. But I I don't think that this is something that's replicatable. The Green Bay defense is not amazing. It's pretty good, but it's not amazing. I don't think that... The Denver offense will score 29 points on a lot of teams, to be honest. I just don't, like, I don't think they're that good this year. I think they're fine, but I think they're kind of workman-like-ish this season, unu- like, unusually for a Peyton Manning team. Had Green Bay had, a, like, maybe even, like, a two or three wrongs-off offense, I think this game's closer. And I think if the game's closer, Denver have to force it more, which means, I think, that they perhaps give up some more interceptions or if they, the pressure's more, they have to kind of play a more high-percentage offense, which I think makes the game winnable. I was very surprised at how very well they shut down all of Aaron Rodgers' options. I think they they have the potential to do that for most teams. But I do think that if it's closer or if they're behind or chasing, I think that's how you beat Denver.
0: Okay, fair enough. And do you think, like, is it a fact of Denver just being that much better in this game, Harry? Or was it also an element of they are missing some of their offensive weapons in Green Bay. They have to face maybe not their top-tier guys against what is a top-tier defense. Like is this is this something that maybe they thought their existing scheme could work for, and it just didn't, or was it a was it was it just a personnel issue?
1: Yeah, like I, I think there's I think there's an honest truth in that, and I agree with all of what Dave says as well. Um, I think Green Bay thing is it's it's the scheme, but it's also Aaron Rodgers. You believe he can go out there and beat anyone and not be well. Held, you generally don't assume your quarterback can be held to a career low. Uh, <laughs> Denver's defense did look phenomenal. Uh, their offense again, yeah, as Dave says, looked working like Peyton Manning for a touchdown in in that game. The injuries to Green Bay certainly a factor. As uh, a team that's you know not up to speed, hasn't his running game seems to be falling to pieces in the last few weeks. And um, Eddie Lacy, God knows what's happening. M- m- many could say Eddie Lacy is a growing problem. He is a growing, <laughs> growing problem indeed. Uh, <laughs> the issue is ballooning. Yeah, no, that's that was definitely a fact there. That said, you know Denver might not score twenty nine points in every single game, and their opponents might score more than ten, but haven't scored much more than ten in general this season. So. For Denver, I think this was sort of the template they've been running all year, coming to in a high-profile game where they have several advantages that they won't have in every game, certainly, mm. but provides sort of a real wake-up call to everybody else and re- really lays down a marker for what they can do. Because Aaron Rodgers can win games with bad receivers, and we've seen him we've seen him do it this season. But when the defense is not only good, but also is playing probably the best game it's had this season, and the offense is starting to click a little bit more, the running game is starting to find bit of rhythm, starting to find holes and starting to do the things that can be good at. It was sort of almost a, a perfect storm in that way that everything that could go right for Denver did. And if they can replicate that, it doesn't matter if they're not going to score 29 points every game. I think, yeah, it'll be interesting watching these two teams
0: going forward. Uh, I think this will be a bit of a kick in the arse for Green Bay. I think they probably went in there thinking... We've got our strengths. We can play our strengths against their strengths and our strengths will come out on top. So I think this will force them to to to, to reassess their planning somewhat in the lead up to games. But I also think that uh, for Denver, while it's an excellent performance, it's also made the rest of the league stand up, take more notice of it. Because like we said, we all thought they were good. We didn't think they were this good. So we're going to move into the neutral zone now, a game that was an interesting one to see and uh, one of the reasons why I gave one of the teams my uh, my sixth wild card coming out of the uh, out of the AFC. Jets travel to Oakland to take on a resurging a- uh, Oakland team that's starting to look like they've actually got a team together. End result, 20-34, to Oakland's starting to look like a very viable team. The Jets' defense, which they've been standing by for this whole season, has been their driving force, weren't able to get anything going. 113 yards for Murray on the ground. Carved 333 yards, four touchdowns, and not a single interception. And Woodson, even the defense, with old man Woodson stepping up, who I believe now leads the NFL in picks. What was it? Because I understand there were some injuries to the Jets and everything in this game. But what, what caused the implosion of this defense?
1: Because Fitzmagic wasn't controlling that. Uh, Harry? Yeah, it's interesting you said. I think that's, that's very true. I think a lot of people who sort of... Were casually watch this be like, oh, the Jets put Geno Smith in, or people didn't watch and see that. Because, oh, of course they lost. Gino actually didn't play that badly. Like, He wasn't great, but he didn't play that badly. It was the defense It was completely culpable. To be, The big thing was, yeah, as to why they couldn't stop the run, I don't know. I didn't see anything particularly different in the scheme they were running or anything in the anything in the formations they were doing that, that was different. It just wasn't working. Maybe they have been figured out a little bit as the season's going on. Oakland knew what they wanted to do, and knew what they needed to do. In fairness, as well, Latavius Murray did play very, very well, regardless. Like, he was breaking tackles, he wasn't doing stuff. The big thing that stood out for me for the Jets was that Antonio Cremar he looked absolutely awful. He got burned repeatedly. Was that, he, he was that got, entirely by Cooper, or was it a mixture? It was by Cooper, it was by crap. It was by Seth, uh, Seth Roberts wow. at one point. It was not great. So he just got picked on all day. And that's when you can have Darrell Rivas across from him, it doesn't matter. Um, if one of your corners isn't playing, whoever is lining up on him is just burning him every single time. So the Jets are going to have to have to look at what they're doing there because they'd never compensated for that. There was nothing they could do to help him out. And the safety play wasn't great like, over the mm. top. It, it is worrying for a team that's built on its defence to, to see that happen. Now, I'm not perhaps convinced you are about Oakland. I still think the team is fragile, and I still think there are teams that are going to be able to, to take advantage of them. But if they are able to find space, if their receivers can get separation, if they can get an effective running game going, they can potentially upset anyone.
2: What about yourself, Dave? I actually think Carr has been great. I actually think he's been really, really excellent. For if, you're, if you're open, I think that's a really good sign. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team this year. I, but I do think that when you've got your quarterback sorted, you've got a beast defense, you've got a weapons for your quarterback, there's not a lot of holes, really, for, for, for Raiders going forward. And I think they can plug in holes
0: rather than being like, we the blow our whole team up. That's it. Uh, there, there, there is a slight problem they'll have. of They do have quite a lot of veterans sat in there as well. Uh, but as you're saying, they've got young talent in a lot of the most important positions to find that in. So it means if you're if you're just replacing, say, a Charles Woodson who, while playing excellently, you're replacing an old CB. Like that's something you can do through the draft much easier than have to say I need a quarterback, a running back, two wide receivers, and a tight end. Um, but yeah, I think I think the loss of Fitzpatrick is going to affect the Jets' uh, chances moving forward. I agree with Harry in that I think that Gino played okay, but I also think that there was a drop off. Gino will be fine to be a backup to play two two games maybe as soon as he's in there any longer and defensive have the scheme yeah. against him. There's going to be a lot of problems coming out of that for the Jets, but uh, I suppose we'll see as time progresses. Now on down to the to the to the dumpster fireside chats. Now two of the two of the terrible games that we saw a bit of this weekend. Uh, Cincinnati traveled to Pittsburgh in what promised to be a very exciting game. Uh, Possibly for 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 control, or if not control, at least uh, momentum in the AFC North. Big Ben was back. Le'Veon Bell was there. All the all the weapons were there for the for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then Ben had a terrible game: one touchdown, three interceptions. Le'Veon got injured in the first half and is now gone for the season. Dalton was also terrible through two interceptions in the fourth quarter. What happened? This is a this is an undefeated team going up against what's supposedly the best offense in the. In the NFL, or at least up there with it, was it just that their defenses played lights out, or was it that they both gack?
2: It's a November game in the AFC North—I don't know what you expected. Like that's <laughs> this is how it works. Um, like the defenses were pretty bruising. Like there were like a lot of heavy hits going in, a lot of pressure on the quarterbacks. Like I would I would be surprised if a lot of the games, especially we're getting November now in the AFC North, started to go small, slow, low scores, a lot of picks, a lot of hits on the quarterback a lot of running. That's, that's the way AFC North teams have built their teams. Like, that's when, when when coaches come in, they're like, that's how we're going to play. That's how NFC North kind of derbies work. I think it was, I was surprised how bad Dalton was. I wasn't surprised by how bad Big Ben was because he was a significant layoff. Uh, like, I think he's probably taken a while to get back up to speed. I think they probably put him in a bit too early. Because, um, But I was surprised at how bad Andy Dalton was. But like, I, think, I think the quality of Cincinnati, like, I think it did just about show through. But I would be surprised if they play that badly again. Maybe they'll play badly again because primetime this week. And <laughs> the, uh, yeah. the week after, and the week after. Yeah, so like, we all know there are struggles in primetime. But I think when they get back out of playing primetime games in the AFC North, I think they'll go back to running over teams.
1: Fair enough. Harry, right, what were your takeaways from this? Yeah, I no, I'd probably agree with Dave. I do think Pittsburgh brought Rothbard back too early out of necessity and he didn't look comfortable. Uh for Dalton, I think this is the first time we've really seen him under that much pressure. Like we've seen him have pretty good numbers against um against against the the Blitz this year but this was smothering at times. Any quarterback is going to look jittery against that, um, particularly for a guy like, like Dalton, who is a bit of a confidence player. When the first few hits come in and when he first starts getting that pressure, it was going to, it was going to affect it. I was a, I was surprised by how bad it was. From Cincinnati's side, I think the one thing that they'll be very encouraged by, though, is their own defensive. And I know that Pittsburgh are, declined, are sort of declined from where they were, but being able to out-defense the Pittsburgh Steelers is still a nice little thing to have, particularly in a division game. So I think they'll take... Something from this, and for Pittsburgh, I think it'll just be a case of well, look, Rossberg wasn't up to speed, wasn't quite back yet. He'll probably be fine next week. No, of course. And uh, the the one
0: the one main concern that would leave for me uh, when I think of Cincinnati and think, look, we're all in agreement they're going to make the postseason. And this was, if we think, kind of a very tough defense they came up against. Is this indicative of what they're going to need to avoid if they end up playing the Broncos in the postseason? Because that's a defense that they'll have to play probably at least once to to, to get out of the AFC and and into a Super Bowl. Like, is this showing a weakness that another playoff team is going to be able to exploit?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't pick Cincinnati over the Broncos on the basis of this week anyway. I think where that game would be could be quite important, whether it's in mile high or not. But um, yeah, the Broncos are certainly a team who could apply that level of pressure to Dalton. And if they do, I think he will struggle.
2: The the, other, the only other thing I would say is that the Cincinnati defense has been very, very good, and Vontaze Burfict, who was on the uh, physically unable to perform list all season, is back and announced himself being back with a disgusting hit on the Bell. <laughs> Bell. Um, and I think that the Cincinnati defense, which was already smothering, um, having him back, I think will will be a big addition to a team that's already undefeated.
0: Yeah, like we'll see. I'm like I understand entirely. It'll be a, it'll be a different scenario when they meet. It'll be different circumstances, and they'll also be game planning very specifically for that. I think actually, possibly the the experience they had in this game will allow them to know better how they can compete against a team who plays that style of really tough hitting football. Seattle at Dallas, an absolutely stomping thirteen to twelve game uh, that everyone who watched. Regrets watching. This completes a five-game losing streak for, for Dallas. They had a two-point lead late in the first quarter. and uh, Managed to let it go away. Um, like Overall, a very disappointing game. Not one that gives you faith in either of these teams, really. Uh, what were your takeaways from this? I'll
1: go to Harry first on this one. Well, Seahawks we didn't lose in the fourth quarter. That was nice for them. <laughs> they nearly did. <laughs> yeah, <I> know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, this was just mock. Um Dallas can't get Tony Romo back quick enough. They looked all over the place again with Castle. Seattle you know, for Seattle it's interesting because they were bad again. They struggled to move the ball again, but they won. They won a game. They won a game they struggled in, and that's what they need to do. They while Dallas have been bad and haven't thrown a touchdown since Tony Romo um since Tony Romo went out injured. They did shut down the Dallas running game, which has looked pretty decent so far. Held them just to field goals, a nice thing to be able to do. But overall, it was just it was it was bad to watch. Not um, not only because of the football, obviously, Lockheed's injury didn't didn't help things. For yeah, for Dallas, like we know the problems of Dallas. For Seattle, Russell Wilson is becoming a concern, um, and you've got to think at some point that, that Seattle have to put some proper weapons around him who aren't Jimmy Graham, who doesn't fit their scheme. You know, they, they've 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 done reasonably well with a pretty mediocre batch of wide receivers, but I think that's coming home to roost now. Because teams are coddling on to the way Wilson runs and he just doesn't have anyone to to get in the way to, so that's the big issue. Um, No, of course. And Dave, what about yourself?
2: I think the best thing about this game was the wonderful show of team spirit when Marshawn Lynch spent the night with Lucky. Oh yes, I heard about that, yeah. Rather than going back with the rest of the team. Mm -hmm. That is literally the only nice thing I can say about that game.
0: There was also there was a massive blunder by the by the officiating crew as well the touchdown for the Seahawks was clearly down about two yards shy of being a touchdown. And uh, Dean Blandino uh, was called in to to make the call afterwards, realised he was wrong, just said, well, hey, it looked okay on one of them, of uh, one of the angles, not so good in the other, so I didn't overturn it. But yeah, so overall, terrible showing from both teams. Uh, the final game we're going to cover off, uh, but we're going to cover off in slightly different form. Is uh, like we mentioned, AFQ went over to well, most of us went over to the uh, to the Chiefs game over in London. Uh, so what we did was. We went around and we asked all of you guys, the listeners, and some uh, some random Yanks and some random Danish and some random every single type of person we could find for their input on the game, a bit of post-game off them, and sometimes even a little bit of mid-game analysis as well. So what we're going to do is uh, play a bit of the stuff that we got from there. Um, and again, thanks to everyone who was, uh, who was helping us out with that. Just thanks to everyone who... who gave us their input and thanks to especially you guys at like 11 o'clock at night who put up with us saying hey i know you're drunk i know you're having fun with your friends but you mind giving us a bit of post game analysis so our wembley weekend kicked off down at the pipeline bar with uh, the arrowheads abroad and uh, we got some feedback from one or two of the contributors to the podcast on how they thought the game was going to go bear in mind this might have been a little bit late at night
2: The Lions are going to win because Matt Stafford is going to have the game that we all
3: know that he has been capable of for many years and they're going to win by about 40 points, I would say. In this game, there will be more points from defence
2: and special teams than offences.
0: So before the game, we all went down to the Green Man pub near Wembley to meet up with a lot of other uh, American football supporters. Down here we asked a lot of people for their opinions on the upcoming game here with the results
3: this is the all four quarters podcast podcasting from the green man pub just up beside Wembley Stadium we're going to do a quick shout around to a couple of the guys who are here from different teams uh, about what they think the uh, the game is going to go uh, so I'm going to pass it over here
1: to uh... Uh, Emmett I'm a Steelers fan I'm so so sorry for that uh, I think the Chiefs been pretty handy to be honest Hi, I'm Dan I'm a 49ers fan I think the Lions are going to win without Jamal Charles there <laughs> I am Kean i <laughs> Packers fan and I think the Chiefs will be winning today.
3: I'm Sean, I'm a Pats fan, I think the Chiefs will win by three or four.
0: Ooh.
1: Richard, Jets fans. Ooh, Richard Jets fans the glory days are Rex Ryan. That's ah, gotta be the Chiefs. Ronan, Seahawks fan, Chiefs by six. Surveyor
3: of terrible questions. <laughs>
1: Harry, Pitches fan, you all know me It's going to be the Chiefs, Chikandrick West 110 yards of scrimmage, but Megatron's going to get two touchdowns and obviously, Connor, oh, Lions by, no, not a fucking
3: chance, boys. Chiefs by about 10 points at the end point and at least 14 points coming from the defense. Here's some more guys from the, from the Green Man Pub just before the game. They're going to introduce themselves and let them know uh, basically what the uh, what the result of the game is going to be. I am Anders. I'm from Denmark. Of course, a Kansas City Chiefs fan, and we will win by two touchdowns, but I do not know how much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm Maria, and I think we'll same. <laughs> yeah, Casper, and uh, I think we'll uh, fail for Cadell. <laughs> <laughs> Chiefs obviously going to win. So what do you reckon? <laughs> I'm Chris uh, from Bristol in England, and I'm going to go
2: 21-17 to the Chiefs. Woo! I'm Ryan from Kansas City, and I'm choosing 28. 28-
3: 24 Chiefs. Woo. Perfect. We're now with a couple of Lions fans here. We're going to pass the phone around and see what their calls for the game are. Uh, Kathy, Lions by six. Jeff from London. I say, uh, unfortunately, probably Chiefs by 14. Oh. <laughs> I'm Chris Franks. I'm from Bonn, Germany. I say Lions by 14. Oh! Anna and I say Chiefs by six. What did you say? Oh, dear, sorry. Thanks very much, guys.
1: I'm Hallam from London. I reckon it's going to be 24 to the Chiefs, 31 to the Lions. I'm Oliver from Wolverhampton. I don't understand American football that well, so I'm going to say everyone's going to have a good time. <laughs> I'm not going to do this. I don't know what the fuck you say. <laughs> I'm Nick from Bedford. I reckon the Chiefs are going to win uh, twenty-four seventeen.
3: Who, who do you think is going to win
1: at the end I think the Chiefs are going to win
3: because they're the Chiefs. <laughs> the Chiefs are not playing. <laughs>
0: we took some audio during the uh, during the game, but not a huge amount of it was actually usable.
1: So, this is Harry uh, live from six minutes ago in the fourth quarter at Wembley Stadium. And I have one word to describe the Lions, which is lol.
0: So, we got back to the green man afterwards, we uh, got ourselves some beers maybe a few too many beers and a bit of food and we started going around everyone and everyone we could find from earlier for a bit of post-match analysis
3: again. so we're just past the Kansas City Chiefs game, we're sat in the green man once again after a couple of points, some of them are eating food, some of them aren't, so uh, forgive them if their mouth sounds like it's full of shit, uh, it's probably more to do with their opinion than anything else yeah, just their opinions <laughs> but we're going to knock it around and go for a very quick post game analysis from everyone else
1: so, Richard Jets fan. Yeah, really impressed by your Kondrak. Really impressed by the as well. I thought there were some great catches. I thought it was a very one-sided affair to be honest. More that the Lions not showing up as opposed uh, to the Chiefs doing really, really well. Not to take away from the Chiefs, but that's how I see it. Running here, Seahawks fan. Uh, the Lions not only were bad, but they should feel bad. Caldwell out. Emmett Harris dealers fan again I'm so sorry uh, Yeah, I called Kansas City to win handy because Detroit are terrible they won handy in a rather handier than anyone could have seen way because Alex Smith dual threat quarterback that's why yo well, honey here you know the story uh, I was running after Canada West I was running about Megatron uh, worst in the NFL Detroit Lions no but only because Tennessee Titans still exist
2: uh, Sean, a Patriots fan. I was very impressed, I have to say, with Alex Smith. I thought we've um, seen a lot of, more of his game than we usually do. And, you know, there might actually be a team there in the Chiefs if they kept keep building and make sure to not lose too many players to injuries and such like. But, yeah, very impressed overall.
1: Key he in here. So, yeah. Good job, Chiefs. <laughs> So what you hear in the
3: background right now is a tomahawk chop being done by none of the Chiefs fans.
0: We also got chatting with Tom Child from Arrowheads Abroad, the UK-based Chiefs fan club, about his thoughts on the match.
3: We're now just about to chat with uh, Tom from Arrowheads Abroad The man who has single-handedly brought a fan group to the UK for the Chiefs Um, Well first of all, good evening Um, Well what a game,
1: what a game that was Uh, The the Lions didn't stand a chance Uh, I know they got their first field goal but after that the Chiefs took over uh, the defence dominated the offence dominated Alex Smith went on like a 60 yard run which and it outrun a DB outrun a DB it looked like 60 for me I was ex- I, I was running down like a little girl because it was a 60 yard run um,
3: yeah and from half time it was the game was over was great one. What, what, what was it like to finally see the Chiefs live I know you saw them once before but what was it like to see them over here in your own shores oh dream come true like my uh, heads Arrowheads abroad
1: brothers and to be like with really the other UK fans it was hey uh, it, uh, it couldn't been, it couldn't have gone any better. Yeah our Twitter our Twitter account is um, at KC Chiefs underscore UK and our think uh, site is www.kcchiefsuk.co.uk uh, My name is Dave. I'm from Manchester, and uh, yeah, just a random Chiefs fan that helps out on this site that this guy runs, apparently. And so, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's it's a pleasure, man. Like today has just been such an amazing event. Like, to see so many Chiefs fans from here, there, and everywhere. Like, chat to so many people, and just as I just. The entire atmosphere, around the day has just been so full. Cool. Like, you know, I, I never thought I'd see a day like this. Like, where you'd have so many cheese fans in one place, but to finally have it happen, it was just un- unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable.
0: Uh, to kind of see us off on the end of our uh, Wembley adventure because the stuff that happened later on you don't want to know about uh, the guys at Arrowheads Abroad and the fantastic crowd down in the Green Man saw us off with a good old Tomahawk Chop Absolutely fantastic time at Wembley, had by all. All four quarters sends out much thanks to everyone who gave any contributions at all. Apologies to those whose stuff was cut out, but unfortunately, drunk, recording drunk on a phone does not always result in the best sound quality. Uh, here's to the next game, guys. Here's to the next game at Wembley. Coming off the back of that section at Wembley, we do have one question that came in from a long-time listener, Kian Dicker. He said... Why have the Lions become so bad with Tony Romo out? Uh, this is an interesting question for several reasons. Most of all, because there, there probably is some correlation between Tony Romo being out and the Lions being bad. So there is some level of validity to it. What do we think it is, guys? Do you think they're somehow soul connected? I think Venus is in retrograde
2: and, and his chakras are misaligned.
0: <laughs> what about yourself, Harry?
2: Maybe they've replaced Matt Stafford's brain with a Madden controller and Tony Romo is playing at home at home. Well no, guys, it
0: makes perfect sense because if he injured his shoulder and he's trying to use an Xbox controller, he'd be as bad as Matt Stafford was being for the Lions. So, again, we're not entirely sure why the Lions became so bad when Tony Romo got injured, uh, but we will investigate and we'll try and get... In fact, listeners out there, please send in your answers for poor Cian. Why is Tony Romo's injury making the Lions so bad? <laughs> So, guys, we're going to have a look now at uh, at a uh, couple of the games for next week. Uh, so, there's a few we agree on, a few we disagree on. We'll fly through the ones we agree on now. And like I said, go, let's try and keep it to a line or so. We've got Falcons at the 49ers. We've all taken the Falcons. Harry, why is
1: that? Because, yeah, the Niners are good. like Blaine Gabbert. Like, yeah, the Falcons aren't good, but the Niners are just Yeah, I basically, see
0: the start of the podcast. That is the answer. Uh, Next game is Broncos at the Colts. We've all taken the Broncos. Dave? I don't think that Andrew Luck turns it around against the best defense in the league. Yes, in fact, he might have the exact opposite happen. Next game, we've got his Jags at the Jets. We've all taken the Jacksonville Jaguars. Woo! Let's go, Jags! And it's not just because we saw a game in London. Jets, uh, for some reason, their defense didn't turn up last week. They've lost their quarterback. Uh, We also can... Probably Chris Ivory is due for an injury at some point soon. Uh, Jacksonville looked to have a pretty decent offense, pretty poor defense, and would take their offense over anything that's led by the Geno Coaster. Browns at the Bengals. We've all taken the Bengals. Uh, I'm going to kick this one to Dave, seeing that he went against his own team. Uh, Joe Hayden is out. Dante Whitner's is out. Josh McCown is out. And our team looks crap. Okay, fair enough. That is pretty comprehensive. Uh, Dolphins at the Bills, given that this is in your uh, division there, Harry. I'll let you take this. We've all went with Miami.
1: Yeah, the Bills look a bit run at the moment, don't they? Now, if Tyrod Taylor is back, maybe this will be close. But as it stands, even without Cameron Wake, that Dolphins' defense should be able to shut down. A- yeah, no, of course.
0: Uh, next game we'll look at is Packers at Panthers. Uh, we've all taken Green Bay Packers in this one think, basically, they'll want a bit of revenge after the last game. They want to stay on track, especially against an NFC opponent. And the Panthers, while good and while able to perform, won't be able to get past Aaron Rodgers. Next game is uh, Washington at Pats. Uh, we've all surprised, surprised taking the Pats. Harry?
1: Yeah, look, we look really good. Washington don't look very good. And they Go are figure. racist. And they are racist. Well, um, New England's fans are maybe not most lovely people in the world sometimes
0: they just they're just so white they've just never seen anyone of
1: colour before and finally the
0: last game is Titans at the Saints we've all taken the
2: Saints Dave uh, like the Saints looked like they could get some stuff going on offence and the Titans have a new coach and also don't look like they can get anything going on anywhere
0: yeah, that's true, that's true. Um, so we've got a few games that we disagree on that we're going to have a quick look at now. So the first one is the Rams at the Vikings. Uh, myself and Dave have taken the Rams in this game and Harry's taken the Vikings. So I'll let, uh, I'll let Dave
2: take this one first. Why do you think the Rams are going to win this one? Well, I think the Rams are a pretty decent team on the 50% of the games that they show up for. And I don't know, I think the, the Teddy-Peterson tandem has been starting to kind of get going but I don't know if the
1: Rams defense
2: was very good or left them
1: to that much. Yeah, no, no. Uh, Fair enough. Harry, response? This is a game that the Rams probably should win, so they're not going to. Uh, Basically, (laughs) they've they've had a couple of good performances in a row, so they're going to lose. But no, um, I actually quite like what Minnesota are doing. I think they're finding what works for them now. Um, And it's not just Teddy and... uh, AP and see Teddy's plays has been coming up in the last few weeks. AP's been settling in. But Stefan Diggs has given them a new option in, in the receiving game they didn't have beforehand. They've been getting Carl um, Rudolph involved a lot more now. And it is just clicking a bit better. Whereas I just I just can't rely on the Rams to do anything. And the Vikings' defence has actually been, very quietly, one of the better defences in the league. And I think, if you say Teddy's going to struggle against the Rams, I think Nick Foles to absolutely struggle to move the ball against the Vikings. Oh, yeah, no,
0: I can, I can see that entirely. I think this is going to be a game where there's two pretty decent defences, two pretty... Mediocre, one-dimensional style offences going on. And uh, I think it's just going to end up slightly siding with the Rams because I think it's mostly mediocrity. Their mediocrity is like 2% better than the mediocrity. Not enough to move up an entire grade, but enough to get the upper end of that grade band. The next game we're looking at is Raiders at Steelers. So uh, I've taken Oakland, Dave has taken Oakland, and Harry has taken the Steelers. So I suppose I'll kick off this one. Uh, like I thought, Oakland looked uh, very good this week. They've looked good the last couple of weeks. I think they've got the weapons to be able to 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 compete offensively with Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh are still going to be in transition with Big Ben being back a bit early and not firing on all cylinders. Like if you just look at the the, the spread of passes, he wasn't pushing it downfield to Brown anywhere near as much. They'll be betting in a new running back, and I just I just think the Raiders are on the up, whereas I think the Steelers are going to need another week or so to settle in.
1: I, yeah, I don't, I don't really agree. Uh, I think we've seen—I well, guess that from the, that's the, the fact you picked the other team. But, but yeah. Yeah. I agree more on the specifics of what you were saying rather than just the general call. Uh, firstly, I think we've seen Pittsburgh's defense start to bed down a little bit and start to play a bit better. So I don't think they'll be as randomly dysfunctional as the Jets were last week. I and mean, I'm getting wrong. I do like Oakland. I really love what we're seeing. But for Pittsburgh, I think Rossberg has been backing. We'll have wig settle in. I don't like the guy, but he's a fantastic quarterback. He's got all of his passing weapons around him about running backs betting in D'Angelo Williams has played about well, two and a half games this season and he's looked pretty good in all of them he even had finished with quite a decent stat line against Cincinnati so I don't think there's necessarily going to be much of a transition period there I think they know what they've got with him he's, he's played in this offense before this season looks decent so I don't see I don't see Open being able to shut that down I think it's going to be a fun game I think it's gonna probably quite a high scoring game but I think Pittsburgh just have the edge because their defense is going to be a little bit better and their offense is going to be, is going to be humming Fair enough uh,
2: Dave? It'll be a close game I'm just not sure that Pittsburgh. I think because they've got had a lot of injuries. They've had a lot of people kind of in around eighty percent. I think. I think that just won't have that enough to get it over the edge. But I think we will see whether Carr can do it on a wet, windy night on Heinz Field.
0: Yeah, like that's 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 very close to what I'm feeling myself. The next game we're going to look at is Giants at the Bucks. So I've taken the Giants. Dave's taken the Giants, and Harry's taken the Bucks. Very exciting pick there, Harry. Uh,
1: why do you think the Bucks? Because my Houston pick worked out really well last week. Genuinely, no, I actually think Tampa Bay are developing into a reasonable team, particularly defensively. Uh, I think the Giants are going to be in a very weird spot coming off of a game where they put up forty nine points and lost. So I do wonder if you know how they're actually going to approach this game, not only mentally but also in terms of the scheme they're running and how they're actually going to do things. Whereas Tampa Bay, we saw them play an extremely tough game last week. I think their de- defense is starting to be good. Their offense is starting to be mediocre. And my, you know, they're starting to get guys like Mike Evans and Vincent Jackson actually involved properly now. I, I'm just not confident in the Giants coming out of that game into a team that seems to be on a little bit of an ascendancy.
2: I think the Giants will race them. I think the Giants will just be like, we're just going to try and put up as many points as we can. And I think if that's what happens, if the, if the Giants get to set the tempo of how this game goes, I think the Giants... Are much more capable of running up a score than Tampa Bay are. I think it's very, I think it could definitely come down to first two series, see how those go. But if the Giants get a touchdown on either the first two series, I don't see the Tampa Bay catch up.
0: Yeah, I'd be quite similar. I think they've seen the value of just going full aggression on offense. I think they're starting to bet into what their offense needs as an identity to score. I think they're going to want to, as much as you're saying it's annoying to lose a game and score 49 points, Like the the easy answer is to score 56 next time. (laughs) Uh, But I think it is the thing of like they want to bet in that that mentality that they can put up those points and they're going to do that. Uh, So I think that they're going to come out firing on all cylinders in that game. The next game we're going to look at is the Eagles at the Cowboys. I've taken the Eagles. Dave has taken the Cowboys and Harry has taken the Eagles as well. Uh, Harry, why the
1: Eagles? Uh, Because I just don't trust Dallas at this point. They're a mess, even with Des Bryant coming back a bit. Their quarterback play is, is awful. They're like Darren McFadden is probably going to hurt himself. Like, Chris, i due for an injury. Darren McFadden is long overdue for an injury this season. Philly uh, so aren't great, but I think they're going to be able to bizarrely beat Dallas in the trenches because Dallas are going to be. I know that sounds weird, but I think Dallas is just going to be a little bit all over the place and are, go- are going to have to be throwing the ball a hell of a hell of a lot.
2: I'm not, I'm not mad about this pick. I'm, I'm not super, because I do think that DeMarco Murray will have a. Statement game, or he'll try at least have a statement game. I don't know, I just don't see. I think at home, I don't know, Cowboys do pretty badly at home. My main pick when making this was I just don't think that they're, I think Chip Kelly is on the ropes. I think the Chip Kelly system has been terrible. I think, and I, I just don't, I don't trust that Philly will get it done. I, I, even, even with all the problems that Dallas have, I still think that Philly are still probably just about more dysfunctional.
0: Fair enough. I disagree just on the dysfunction
2: level when you've
0: got Matt Castle failing at quarterback, uh, still trying to get Des Bryant back from injury. I think we saw Ryan Matthews get mixed in a bit more the last time, and they were seeing the success of that slightly less pig from Chip Kelly in that regard. I think the Eagles' defense has been betting in quite nicely the last two or three weeks, uh, better than it was at the start of the season. What it comes down to in my head is that Dallas are missing more in this game to be able to compete in what will be a poor game. One thing guaranteed is there's going to be an awful lot of sacks. Oh, good God, yeah. It's just not going to be fun to watch. Uh, well, it might be fun to watch if you just really like concussions. <laughs> uh, which Fred I suppose, Hardy's going to have a ball then. Yeah. Which also, I suppose, in one respect, a lot of a lot of NFL fans probably have to. Uh, the final game that we disagree on is uh, the Monday Night Football game. The Chicago Bears travelling down to the Chargers to play. Uh, I've taken the Bears and the lads here have taken the Chargers. Uh Given that I've yet to pick a Monday night football game wrong, lads, I thought one of you would end up siding with me here. Do you want to take this, Harry? Why would you take San Diego in this game? Because for all
1: problems San Diego have, and they have a lot of problems, Chicago without Matt Forte have got very, very little. They've looked bad all over this season. And I just think San Diego are going to be able to throw all over them. Now, I said it about the Ravens last week, so we'll see, but I think (laughs) they will this time. Fair enough, fair
0: enough. Like, my my rationale for Chicago is I think San Diego are having an absolute mayor of a time trying to get their stuff together. They've got injuries everywhere. Like, we've talked about this most weeks about how I thought they have a very good starting 22, but not very much behind it. They're missing lots of players. They've lost their main receiver. They are scrambling, and I don't think they're going to get it together. The Bears, while poor, they've lost Forte. I think Cutler's actually been okay this season. It's, uh, it's a weird thing to say, and it does feel strange coming out of my mouth. But he's played pretty okay so far. Uh, I don't think it'll be a good game. Uh, I don't know why they didn't flex out of it for Monday Night Football. But yeah, uh, I just think the Bears will edge it in a pretty crappy game.
2: Uh, Dave? Oh, I just think the Bears are terrible. Like, that's my main problem with the Bears. Existentially really terrible team. Yeah, like
0: it's going to be awful. Like save yourself the hassle. Don't stay up on Monday night, guys. Just catch the like 12 seconds of highlights that will come <laughs> out of this game the following day. But yeah, so that kind of wraps us up for this week. Uh, obviously, like we said, thanks to everyone. Uh, we had a great time over in uh, England for the game. Less of a good time over in England for the
2: afters. Uh, any, any other crackers yourselves, lads? Not really. Um, I'm actually looking forward to Browns game in prime time, um, I think we'll make it close. Yeah. Maybe, maybe
1: I'll put another 2.0 passer rating and everything will be... Well, he
2: does day. seem to do that against us. We had a fun thing
1: you know, this week. I think, it was the, I think it was the Colts, the first team to score first in overtime and still lose.
0: Yeah, first time that's ever happened. Um, Although I suppose it, wa- it was only, what, four or five years ago they brought in the new rules. So, but let's still it's still four or five years where that's... Uh, but that hasn't happened before now, which is which is quite good. But yeah, uh, the other thing that I would say is uh, the podcast is happy now to be looking for sponsorship from any airline that is not Aer Lingus. Uh, in fact, you don't even have to pay us. You just have to compete with Aer Lingus on routes because we are now so against Aer Lingus, we will give anyone free advertising who is trying to take them the fuck down. <laughs> Thanks, Aer Lingus. You made the end of our trip the most horrifying experience we could possibly have had. For about twenty eight hours. Anyway, guys, thanks very much. uh It's been great chatting to you all. Like I said, keep an eye on the Facebook page. The Twitter is up there now as well. We'll be up on iTunes soon enough, and uh, yeah, so it'll be great fun. Uh, so it's at uh, at AFQ Podcast at uh, AFQ Podcast on Facebook as well. I believe uh, you should be able to find us fairly handily. And all four quarters podcast on SoundCloud excellent uh, but yeah thanks again guys keep the questions coming in keep in contact and like i said please help us out because we don't have a good answer for a key.